Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning everybody. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. I'm back, baby. Good to be back in the house, right? Welcome to everybody online. It's good to see everybody here. Thank you for connecting with Trinity today. Uh, I am excited, uh, like many of you. I thought, you know, I was, I was bobbing and weaving and dodging the COVID animal. Like, you know, how many remember the old great fighter Sugar Ray Leonard? Remember, he just dodged, dodging and everything. It, it got me. Hit me with an uppercut. Got me. Put me out. Uh, how many of you have, have, have survived the COVID? You got through it all. Great. Uh, I am grateful that our church has got a deep bench and there's a lot of wisdom here. And I'm you know, grateful for Ty for sharing and for uh, last week for uh, Ruan sharing and everybody doing what they needed to do. Uh, it was great. So uh, not this Saturday night, not last Saturday night, but the Saturday night before, I started to feel crummy. And I thought, boy, this is not a good thing. I don't know what's going on. I've been taking my vitamin C, doing all my stuff. And you know, at that point, I sent a thing to Ty saying, Ty, you got to talk this week, man. I sent him my stuff. He got it all done, did a great job. So Sunday, I wake up, take the test, I'm positive, and that knocks me out for a while, and I'm you know, feeling achy, starting to feel bad, and, and I, I realized that I had to take some time to rest. How many of you stink at resting? Then you can relate with this guy. I got a motor, and I'm running all the time. It's just crazy. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Jesus, and I'm like, okay, Lord, everything you do has got grand design and plan. So what do I do as I heal? I mean, what do I do as I'm fighting this stuff back? And I'm, I'm sitting at my dining room table, and I look up, and I see on the wall a half-done painting. I started to paint last year. My mother was a painter, and I've always wanted to do some painting. Started last year and, um, you know, in January, and as I'm painting, February hit. We had a wedding. And how many of you know sometimes life gets in the way of doing stuff that you really want to do? So I took this half-done painting, and I put it on the wall with the intention of, I'll get to it soon. I'll get to it. You know, it, it just, it'll just stay there. It'll be a reminder. Well, 11 months went by. How many of you have 11-month, maybe multiple-year projects at your house that have never been done? 11 months went by, and that picture just sat up there. I did all my painting stuff and everything. And as I sat there, I felt, God said, why don't you finish your painting? At that point, I'm like, well, where do I even start again? So I dig up all my stuff. I get all my paints. Half my paints were all dry and crusty. I had brushes. How many of you ever done a brush project you forgot to clean out the brush? I had brushes that looked more like sticks than brushes. You know what I'm talking about? So I get everything out, and I'm starting to you know, get back in the groove. I mean, where do you even start? I get everything out on the table. I start getting my lights out. I got this big magnifying light because I'm getting older. Can't see all the details. And, and I start to paint, get all my stuff out. And at first, it was a little, a little clunky, a little clumsy. I'm going back into the brush strokes. I'm looking at what I'm supposed to do. I get everything rolling in. A little bit at a time, it started to come back. Um, all those little uh, brush strokes they add up to big things. Uh, those hours, you know, you just, you do those little things, the little details, and, 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 and time after time, those little brush strokes add to big things, and lo and behold, I finished my painting. Not only did I finish it, but I also hid four Sasquatch in the mountain, so I'm going to post it, and if you can find the four Sasquatch, you get a prize. Now, the prize is to be determined later what that may be. That just may be a hearty handshake for me. I don't know, but you get a prize. And it reminded me this process of kind of getting back into the painting again of this. Our faith is kind of built the same way as kind of getting back into the hobbies and, and doing this, this painting. All of those little brush strokes led to the painting. All of the little things you do in your life every day lead to big things when it comes to your faith. Sometimes we focus on the big stuff when really it's the little stuff that lived the big things. 
At some point, you have to decide to take control of your faith. Do you know who's responsible for your spiritual growth? Everybody take your finger, point it at me, and I'll turn it back and point it right at your nose. You are responsible for your faith. Do you know that I'm not responsible for your faith? You know, I'm here to lead you as a shepherd. I'm here to, to present meals for you. I'm here to help you to grow. But I do not go home with you in your car every night. I do not hold your remote control. I'm not clicking the mouse on your computer. You're responsible for your faith. You are. And all those little things add up to big things. So over the last few weeks, we've been exploring of what it looks like for you to take control of your faith, for you to take your spiritual life back. We began a few weeks ago with Ty showing us how all this starts when we wake up. When you give your heart to Christ, you awaken. And the goal for us as believers is not just to wake up, but to stay awake. And then last week, Ruan did a beautiful job showing us what it means to step up. God is always calling your phone. It's up to you if you're going to pick it up or not. How many of you, every once in a while, you, uh, you, da- you, know, you, you ditch people calling you? You know, well, I didn't see you called. You saw they called. You hit ignore, right? (laughs) Don't do that with Jesus Christ. If he's calling you, you pick up the phone. Today, we take another step. You see, it's one thing to do something extraordinary for God, to pick up the phone and do something extraordinary in the moment. It's another thing to step up as a believer and to become something deeper, stronger, more powerful as a fully devoted follower of Christ. You know what we call that in, in the Christian world? Maturity. Stepping up means that we become mature. So what does your faith look like when it starts to grow and it starts to deepen and it starts to mature? I mean, here's the reality about our lives. All of us change. All of us grow. All of us become something new all the time. We spend our entire life becoming something else. Did you you ever think about it like that? All of us at some point were born. Yay, give yourself a hand. You were birthed. Yay! Yay! And you became a son or a daughter. And then some, at some point in, in, in your little life, you went from just being a son and a daughter to being a student. You went to school and all your parents said, amen. Send those kids to school. Woo, right? If you're a homeschooler, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're still there. I'm sorry. Right? You became a student. And then maybe when you were in school, you were in the band. You became a band member. Maybe you played Little League Baseball. Maybe you were a gymnast. You became a gymnast. You start to, to grab these, uh, these titles, these things. And then you get into junior high, and then high school, and then you become, you know, you start to, your hormones start to go crazy, and then you become a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You remember when you went with somebody? You know, if I asked, will you go with me? You had no idea where you were going, but you were going with somebody, right? And then as things evolve, Maybe you go to college, maybe you get a job, maybe you find that somebody, that's somebody, and then you, you ask them to marry or they ask you to marry them, and then you become a husband or you become a wife, you get your profession, you have all these other, we're growing constantly and becoming something. I remember um, specifically, um, you know, Robin and I, we, we walked through that same path where you were the, the little ones, we were the, the young kids that were starting to grow up, and I still remember the day, you know, when, 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 when we had our first child, Tyler, you know, the bearded kid. It's hard to imagine you have kids that have beards. That's when you know you get old, they have beards. And I remember when he was born holding him in the hospital. And I realized something. In life, we all have moments. That was a moment in my life that changed forever. As I held his little, his little teeny little, I can't try to hold him now, I would die, right? You hold his little body and you're looking at him and I realized something. TJ, something has shifted in you and changed in you that can never, ever go back now. Now you are responsible for this kid until the day you take your last breath. 
There's a part of that responsibility. We all grow. So I became TJ in that moment, the father. And my entire world changed. Everything I saw, you know, how I saw the world, it all changed. Uh, you know, and then you think I would give my life, you know, for this child. And you guys, some of you have heard the story when Tyler was three months old. I had an opportunity to put that to the test. And we almost lost him. And again, I'm not going to share that today. But it changes. Because we change and we grow. As believers, God built us to become something more. To grow as people and to grow as fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, you can't grow into becoming something that God wants you to be and moving into the next level of your faith. You can't do that by doing nothing. You have to do something in order to become. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12. We're going to live here today. If you've got your phone, if you get our, have our app, you get all my notes on our app. If you have the version of the Bible, look for live events and you get all my apps or you get all of our notes. It's on the TCC. This is Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. And from this, we get a blueprint on what it looks like for you and I to grow and mature in our faith. Philippians 3.12 says this, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose for which Jesus has laid hold of me to make his own. Verse 13 I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I have fastened my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So what can we learn through Paul that will help us to step up in our faith, you know, to move up and to mature, to be the people that God wants us to be? First, you have to run to reach. You cannot move forward in your faith without reaching out for God. You can't grow in your faith and expand the kingdom by doing nothing. You have to do something as believers. Coming to church every week is not enough to fulfill what God wants you to fulfill in the kingdom. Showing up, warming that seat with your tuchus is not enough to grow your faith and to promote the kingdom. It's just not enough. Here's the reality of our lives. All of us are growing into something. All of us are becoming something. What we grow into is determined by what we reach for. What you're becoming is determined by what you reach for. Look at the passage again. I love how it puts it. I admit that I've yet acquired this absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose for which Christ has laid hold of me to make me his own. Reaching. All of us are reaching and running towards something. All of you have your thing, baby, that makes you you. How many Netflix people do we have in here? You could sit down and watch an entire series in one setting. How many series setting people do we have here, right? That's right. Some of you, man, you're a Netflix generation. You love that. I'm from the old school generation where you had to watch Laverne and Shirley, and then you had to wait a whole week to see what Laverne and Shirley and Lenny and Squiggy did the next week. Now you can sit down and watch the whole thing. How many of you are Laverne and Shirley people? You're old like me, right? Now you can watch the whole thing. Some of you, that's what you do. You get done with your work and you do the Netflix marathon. You get your pizza. You sit on the couch and it's great and you love it. And you can tell me every detail of friends, the office, all that other stuff. But physically, you're kind of turning into a couch potato and you're loaded with useless information. Some of you are reaching for entertainment, right? 
Now, there's other people, you reach for other things. How many of you like the gym? I'm not talking about a guy named Jim. I'm talking about the gym. Right? Now, I like the gym because I have to go to the gym. I've never understood. People like Anne Marie, I love her to death. She runs for fun. Who does that? Who runs? I run if I'm being chased or if the ice cream man's got a block and a half on me. That's the only time this body gets into gear. Some of you love the gym, and there's nothing wrong with loving the gym. You got your power shakes, you got the next workout, you got the next burn, you get your protein stuff and all that stuff, and you do everything you can to get that next big workout. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the main focus of your life, if that's all that you're reaching for, your physical body is going to be amazing, but spiritually, you're going to be a weakling. If you put that kind of energy into your spiritual life, man, you would move mountains. You would. All of us are in that thing. Now, some of you, I've got to go to the other side now. Some of you are foodies. How many of you love food? Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I got my positive COVID thing, the first thing that went through my mind wasn't, I'm going to die, I'm not going to be able to breathe, was, oh, Lord, please don't let me lose my taste. <laughs> the first thing I prayed, I was deep in the Holy Spirit, Lord, please, No. Please, I got to be able to taste, man. And my taste stayed with me. Now, unfortunately, I just sat and ate the whole time. <laughs> I, just, I had taste and an appetite. That is a recipe for a disaster. My pants are struggling, right? <laughs> some, of <you> are, <laughs> some of you are foodies. You love food. You have every kitchen gadget that's known to man. You have Instapots. You have air fryers. You got it all. You got every cookbook you can imagine. You love the flavors. You love the textures. You want to be on one of those cooking shows where the guy yells at you the whole time. I don't understand. Guy yelled at me one time. I hit him with a chicken wing. I, no, we don't do that, right? And you love all this stuff, and you're make, you love making all these meals, and, and physically you got it all together, but spiritually you're dying because you don't take the time to feed yourself. What are you reaching for? What does your spiritual reaching look like? Are you reaching for God or are you trying to get it all through osmosis? I remember school, high school and junior high specifically. Remember when they'd give you book reports? Wouldn't it be great if you could just put your face on a book, go to sleep at night, and you wake up and you know what's going on? You know, some of you prayed specifically, Lord, I know I didn't read like I was supposed to. You get me out of this one. I promise I'll read next. Did you ever read next? No. Your spiritual life doesn't work that way either. Having your Bible on a shelf that never is opened doesn't help you. Putting it on your nightstand doesn't help you. Even having it, putting your face on it, it's not enough. What you reach for, you become. So what are you reaching for spiritually? Now, again, I'm a word nerd. So the Greek word for reach is dioko, which actually means this, to pursue or to chase like a hunter, to hunt down. That's the Greek word used here. So when Paul says, I am reaching for the purpose that God has for us, that means this, I am hunting down, pursuing with intention, trying to find the purpose that God has for me. That's how I'm pursuing God. Does that sound like your spiritual life? Are you pursuing him? Are you chasing him like a hunter chases his prey? Like one of us, like when you lose your keys in the Walmart and you need him to get home. When you can't find your wallet, you don't know what you did with your card, are you searching for God like that? Or are you just praying that your spiritual life just falls together? When's the last time you really hunted for something, you searched for something? I remember years ago, the kids were small. Ty and Tori were probably seven, five, I don't know, somewhere in there, maybe a little bit older. 
Toby was in, he was, he was still a baby. Not unlike today, but he was still a baby. <laughs> well, you are the baby. You'll always be the baby. you always be the baby. So we were going to, we, we lived in our little plan. We decided it was a very hot summer day. We were going to go on a fun family bike ride. Have you ever gone on a fun family bike ride? In your mind, you know exactly how you want that to play out. Does it ever play out like you want it to play out in your mind? So I remember we had a bike with a little carrier, put Toby in that. The little kids had their little bikes. Robin had her bike. I had my bike. And we, we started out, we're, we're in Chicago, and we started out on the planet. It's a very hot day. I thought, we're only going to go out. It's not going to be very long, maybe 15 minutes. about all the kids could take. And as we head out of the driveway, this crazy thing happened. It was just going to be a leisurely bike ride. I heard the bells. They weren't the bells on Christmas Day. They were the ice cream man bells. How many of you remember the ice cream man growing up? The little ding into the bells. How many of you still remember the song that the ice cream truck would play as it was going around to lure and snatch our children? You know, what do they do when you hear the bells? You run into the house, Mom, I need five dollars. Mom, I need a dollar. Right? Or you get all the change jar and you run out there and you chase the ice cream man. You stand in line with all your friends and you get yourself, you know, either one of those push-up pops or one of those things, you know. So I'm out there with the kids. And it's funny, even as a father of three, distinguished guy, pastor working at a church, something changes inside of you when you hear the bells. And I said, that's the ice cream man. Now, we're in a plant. It's very flat. I couldn't tell the direction where the ice cream man was at, but I knew he was out there in front of us. So I said, guys, we got a motor. We got to find the ice cream man. And at first, the kids were all excited. They're like, yeah, we'll find the ice cream man. And we start pursuing the ice cream man. And we're pursuing him. And I, I swear to goodness, he probably could see us. And as we get close, he just pull away. You know what I'm talking about? So we start pursuing him, and it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and they were just at the cusp. I'm like, if we just turn around that corner, we'll find them. So this leisurely bike ride turned into like the Tour de France. <laughs> the kids are whining, and they're complaining. They're like, shut up. We got to get to the ice cream man, because I love ice cream. I do. And at that point, as we're riding around, I know the kids are small, but at that point, I started to question their commitment. <laughs> are you committed to this? Are you committed to us finding the ice cream man? Now, I understand it's 90 degrees and you got little legs and maybe you're not hydrated, but we got to get this done. So we're peddling and we're peddling and finally we caught up with the ice cream man. And it was beautiful. It was. Took out my money. And I noticed this about ice cream. It makes everything better. It just does. We sat there, and all the kids that were whining and being nasty and terrible, everybody was smiling. Everything was great. Robin forgave me for running the kids into the ground, finding the ice cream man. It took us about four hours to get back, but that's okay. It's, it's what you got to do to get that stuff done. When's the last time you reached for God like that? When's the last time you pursued God like that, like he was your sole focus? When God's your sole focus, all those other things fall off of you. Those little things that trip you up, they start to fall off to you. Do you have a reaching faith like that? Are you actively pursuing God like a hunter pursues a prey? Or is your faith passive? Your faith was never designed to be passive. Some of you are here today and you're bored with your faith. Can I throw something out there? Everybody say, Pastor TJ. Say, we love you. Because Jesus says we have to. Some of you are bored with your faith. Because what you're living is not the faith that God intended to give you. It's something else. You created something else. You do not dictate the terms to your faith. God dictates the terms. You know, he dictates the terms to your faith. 
We pursue him that way. This is what Jeremiah 29, 13 says about your faith. It says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Not part of it, all of it. This is Psalm 63, 1. It says, oh, true God, you're my God, the one whom I trust. I seek you with every fiber of my being. In this dry and weary land where there's no water in sight, my soul is dry and longs for you. My body aches for you, you for your presence. That's the type of faith. The reaching faith that God's asking us to have. So let me ask you a question. What needs to shift and change in your life for your faith to become something like that? Do me a favor. Let's just pause for a second. Just shut your eyes for a second. Let's have a talk with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, you know, he speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Say, Holy Spirit, what needs to shift in my faith so that I pursue you like that? And listen to what he tells you. All right, let's keep going. Never, ever, ever, ever be afraid in your faith to allow the Holy Spirit to give you course corrections. That's what we do. How many of you have GPS in your car? You ever make a wrong turn with the GPS? And what does it say? Recalculating. It's giving you another route to get back to where you're supposed to be. God does it all the time because nobody in here is perfect. Some of you may think you're perfect, but you're not. So God recalculates things. So first we run to reach. Second, we forget and we fasten. Those are weird words, aren't they? Forget's easy. Fasten, what is that? Well, it's right from the passage. Look at the passage. It says this. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. We forget and we fasten. These are two very important things for us as believers to understand if you're going to move up in your faith, if you're going to grow. So first, let's take a look at what it means to forget the past. Forgetting the past does not mean that you pretend that the past never happened. This is not you sticking your head in the sand and pretending that your past never existed. You're here today, and every experience that you've had has been woven together to help to make you who you are. The good the bad, and the ugly. All of it has made you you. You can't take out just the bad chapters of your life. You can't rip out those pages and still be you. When you rip out those bad things, you cease to be you. Do you know that? Our stories were never meant to be whitewashed and, and revised. Your story is simply your story. And when you don't when you're not authentic with people about your entire story, you do the gospel a disservice. And you make people believe that all Christians are perfect. Is anybody in here perfect? Is anybody in here have parts of your story you hope nobody ever reads? Do you know that those chapters, those stories are important for people to see? to inspire people that they can become the people that, that God wants them to be because just like you've overcome things, God can overcome things with them in their lives too. But they'll never know that if you don't share the whole story. All of those things make you you. So when you forget the past, you don't forget those things that made you you. We don't pretend that the past doesn't exist. We just don't get stuck in the failures of our past. 
You're not the person you used to be. You're not. You've changed. You've grown. If you get stuck in only focusing in the person that you used to be, your lowest moments, your pain, your failures, you'll never be the person that God created you to be. You'll never move from the elementary parts of your faith. You'll never mature. Does that sound like the church today? A bunch of baby believers that never mature because they can't get past their past. We're always running to the altars to try to settle things from our past. When God has spoken very clearly about where our past is, we are no longer sinners saved by grace. We were sinners saved by grace. We are now new creations in Christ. The page has turned, beloved. It doesn't mean we're not going to sing or sin. It doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. But what it means is this. The sin no longer defines us. You're defined by the Holy Spirit operating in your life. You're a new creation in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, everything is what? New. That's how God defines us. You can't hold on to the past and grab a hold of God's future for you. You can't hold on to both. If you want to grow, you have to let go of the failures of the past. All of us struggle with the failures of our past. Let me tell you the story about this uh, a remarkable woman named Corey Tenboom. Some of you have read her story. Some of you have read her books. Sometimes, you know, we think that when you read these titans of our faith, that they never had any issues at all. Let me tell you a little bit about her story. The Ten Boom family were members of the Dutch Reformed Church, which protested the Nazi persecution of the Jews as an injustice to fellow human beings. In her autobiography, Ten Boom repeatedly cited her religious motivations for hiding the Jews, particularly in her family's strong belief and the tenets of their faith and religion. They believed in equality of all human beings because they were all made in God's image. After World War II began, the members of the Ten Boone family became involved in the resistance efforts to hide the Jews. Corey became directly involved in these efforts when, along with her father and her sister Betsy, she decided to hide Jews in her family home in Harlem in the Netherlands. She used her job as a watchmaker in her father's shop to cover things up. Corey built up contacts with all the resistance workers who assisted her in uh, procuring ration books and building a hiding place in her family for Jews that were trying to, to get out of Dodge. The Gestapo, the German secret police, raided their house on February 28, 1944. They arrested her and put her entire family in prison. While Corey was in prison, her older sister Bessie and her father Casper remained in prison. Their father Casper became sick and he died. The sisters remained in prison until September 1944 when the Nazis deported Corey and Betsy, her only alive sister back then that was in prison, to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. In Ravensbrück, the sisters managed to stay together until Betsy decided that, until she died that December. After the war, Corey struggled to forget what happened to her and her family while they were in the camp. She had forgiven the people, but she kept rehashing the incidents of her imprisonment in her mind so much that she couldn't sleep anymore. Finally, Corey cried out to God for help in putting this problem finally to rest. She says this in her autobiography. His help came to me in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor. She says, I confessed to him my failure after two sleepless weeks. The pastor said this, up in the church tower is a bell, which is rung by pulling a rope. To ring the bell, you have to pull the rope. After the ringer lets go of the rope, the bell keeps swinging for a time. First a ding, then a dong, slower and slower until finally the dong stops. 
He said this, I believe the same thing is true with forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances of the, and our past for a long time, we can't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming back for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old. But if you want the ringing to stop, you have to let go of the rope. Beloved, some of you are still defined by your worst moments. Some of you define yourself by your greatest failures, by who you used to be. You find yourself still in dark places. If you want to move past your past, let go of the rope. Stop dinging the bell. Forgive others. Forgive yourself. Let go of the rope. Don't define yourself by your lowest moments. And by the way, sometimes we have friends and family that love to remind us of who we used to be. Take the rope out of their hands too. Stop dinging the bell. Get your hand off the rope. If you have people in your life that love to ding that bell, get their hands off that rope. And by the way, beloved, as a church, we do not ring other people's bells. We don't define people by their lowest moments. And human nature, let's just be real, human nature has a tendency to let us do that. When we talk about each other, don't define each other. Oh, that's that one girl that did that. That's that one guy that did that. Did you see what she wore? Did you hear what he said? We don't define people like that. We don't see others through their failures. We see others the way God sees them, through possibility, through future, through who God wants them to be. All of us are in process. Get your hand off the rope. Stop dinging the bell. Stop pulling on the cord. Let it go. This is what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say all. If you confess your sins to God, he's strong enough and powerful enough to cleanse you and to forgive you of, everybody say all. All. So you ready for this? Do it. But it, it, it just can't be that. It is. The Bible says this, when you sin, he forgives you. He takes your sin, he takes it as far as from the east as to the west. He says he throws your sin into the sea, he calls forgetfulness. He doesn't remember it anymore. So do me a favor, right at the edge of that sea, there's a sign, there should be a sign in your life, there should be a sign that says, no fishing. Stop fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. If God doesn't remember it, you don't remember it either. Let it go. Let it go. Isaiah 43, 18 says this, stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember these former things. I'm doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now it sprouts up and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness. We'll open up flowing streams in the desert. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is united with the anointed one, that person is a new creation. The old life is gone and see, a new life has become. It's begun. Everybody shut your eyes for a second. Stop ringing the bell. So right now, take a minute, talk to the Holy Spirit. Forgive yourself. Let go of the past. Move on. Those that hurt you, forgive them. Trust vengeance to the Lord. Let him deal with them. 
Move on. Let go of the bell. Take a deep breath. Breathe the free air. All right, one more thing. Let's keep rolling. Are you still with me? All right, we're still rolling here. So let's review. We forget the past. The enemy loves to whisper in your ear to remind you of the past. We let those things go. God does not call you by your past. He calls you by your purpose. He calls you by your purpose. He does. Remember Gideon? Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Where was Gideon when he called him a mighty hero? He was hiding in the wine press. How many of you are good at hiding? Maybe not the wine press, but Lord, you're not going to find me here. He can find you. He's God. He created that shrub you're hiding behind. He did. Right? Calls you by your purpose, not your past. It's not enough, beloved, to not be who you used to be. You have to become who God wants you to be. So now we're moving toward becoming that person that God created us to be. We change, we transform. We start to mature, we start to grow. None of that happens without steps of faith. So when it comes to moving up into our faith, we become so focused on the heart of God that when we, we trust him so much, when he asks us to take steps, we take them. This is what it means for us to fasten. Steps of faith lead us into becoming the person that God created us to be. Now, again, when it comes to your faith, God requires all of us to take steps, some greater than others. Um, that's the exciting part of our faith. God loves you so much, he doesn't leave you where you are, but he's always stretching you beyond the things that you can you believe that you can do or imagine. At this point, I'm going to invite McKenna Harris to join me. Um, McKenna's got an amazing story of um, God asking her to take steps. Um, come on up. I don't Which mic are you using this one over here? This one here? You may have turned it on. I'll put you over here. Um, for those of you that don't know, that don't know McKenna, McKenna is the uh, part of the dynamic duo that leads our, our youth on Friday nights. Um, <laughs> Got a few youth representing here. Uh, she's also uh, uh, my, my daughter-in-law. And I remember the first time we got to hang out with, with Ty and McKenna. They were in uh, Denver, and we did a Zoom dinner. How many of you remember the Zoom dinners you'd have with people over there? And the first thing I did, you know, Tyler told us, he says, hey, I think I met this girl, and I think she might be the one. And I looked at my wife. She looked at me. and was like, we'll determine if she's the one. <laughs> right? How many of you know as parents, that's your prerogative? First thing I asked her, I said, McKenna, I said, tell me a little bit about your faith. And her face lit up, and she started to lay out the story. And I went, oh, she's the one. I didn't tell, I didn't tell my wife that. I didn't tell anybody else that. I thought, she's the one. I want to scare anybody off. So again, um, I have her here because she's got a remarkable story of these steps of faith, what we've been talking about. Um, tell us a little bit about McKenna, about how you came to Christ, your, your little faith journey. Yeah, so I was not raised in the church. That wasn't part of my story. I actually met Jesus when I was a sophomore in college. So I was 19 years old, and I went to a school. I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Let's go Buffs. Um, I went to that school, and it's very similar to UD, just in, like, the culture of it and everything. And so I went through my whole freshman year of college, and I tried all the things that people said, like, oh, yeah, like, this is where you're going to find joys. So we're going to find friends. And I didn't find that. I didn't find the life that I was looking for. And so coming back my sophomore year, I was like, okay, we got to try things a little differently this time. And I ran into a ministry called Young Life at my university. They had a, um, a branch of Young Life that's for college students. And so I went there, and I went on a weekend retreat, and I met Jesus under a sky full of stars. 
That's awesome, isn't it? All those ministries are great. So you come to, you come to faith, you come to Christ. Um, shortly after that, you had an encounter with God where you felt that God spoke something to you when it came to uh, expanding your faith uh, that involved you leaving the country for a little bit, right? Tell us a little yes. bit about how that happened. So it was right after I met Jesus, I went through like this leadership training thing and I jumped into two years of college ministry. And it was throughout those two years, I remember I would get up and if I was going to church, if I was going to work, I would get onto this highway that went east. And every time I got onto this highway, I just heard the Lord say, go. And I was like, go where? Like, I'm already going somewhere. Like, where do you want me to go? And it was for about two years that I kept hearing this, like, go. And I kept saying, they're like, go where? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you want me to go. And so that was kind of the start of all of it. And then eventually it was in my last semester of my senior year that the Lord became very clear on exactly where he wanted me to go. So um, tell everybody a little bit about, you know, now you're, she's a homegrown, you know, Colorado girl in her family, you know, her, her, her family doesn't necessarily have the, the, the compass for this faith stuff. It's, it's brand new. It's crazy for anybody. Um, so where did God tell you specifically that he wanted you to go? First, it was Africa. Um, and those conversations just became very funny, like with my family of like, hey, so I'm going to Africa. And they're like, why? <laughs> like, I think my family sometimes has this like mentality of like, anytime you travel, it should be for fun. So like, you're going to go to Africa. And I was like, mm-hmm. They're like, where? I was like, I'm going to go to Uganda. And they're like, why? And so first it was, I felt the call to go to Uganda. And I was there for about two and a half weeks. This is a picture of some of my friends. Um, and so I was in Africa for about two and a half weeks. I did a month worth of missions in Hawaii, which some people like snub up their noses. Like, well, it's not missions. It was, I promise. We did a whole lot of missions work there. And then I did three months in Sri Lanka. And then from there, it was another two and a half weeks in Indonesia. So it was a lot of like here, there, and kind of everywhere, and usually on the other side of the world. So, so when you first, when God started to speak to you about going mm-hmm. and reaching out, I mean, that's pretty out of the box for whatever's up. How did, I mean, when God first started speaking to you about that, how did you process that? I mean, I mean, were you afraid? Were you excited? What, what, what was going through your head? I was stubborn, and I said no. <laughs> um, the Lord was like, I want you to go to Africa. I was like, no, and it was like not even a consideration. I kind of had like my own stigma against missions of like, oh, it's just a glorified vacation. Like I can't justify like spending my time and money on that. Remember it was one night, it was the night before I had to sign up for this trip to Africa and I have this like beautiful ability to sleep. Like I'm the kind of person, like I get in bed, pillow under my head, I'm asleep in like two minutes. Like I've never struggled to sleep. And I got in bed the night before I had to sign up for it and I was so like, nope, I'm not going and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, what is happening? I was like, I have to be up. I have a test tomorrow. It's probably about like 11 o'clock. And I was like, Lord, like, I don't get it. Like, why won't you let me sleep? He's like, you have to say yes. I was like, I don't want to say yes. And so I fought it. I stayed up until 3 o'clock in the morning that night because the Lord would not let me sleep until I said yes. And so I was like half asleep. I sent an email to my college director. I was like, hey, I guess I'm going. Hit send. And then I immediately was out just like that. So it was a lot of um, stubbornness of, no, I don't want to do it. That's not for me. That's for somebody else. When in reality, that was my call and not somebody else's. That's beautiful. So you, you took the step. You did all these things. What did that step, saying yes to God, trusting him, even though there was stuff that was out there you didn't understand, what did that step do for you in your faith? It did a lot. It, um, I think being able to have this faith, I think one of the lies that I kind of always struggled with was that I was so new to my faith. Like, what could I actually do? Like, what could this person who has a past, who has a background who had 19 years before Jesus, like, what could I do that could be effective 
in missions and ministry, like what do I have to offer that like someone who has a better past couldn't? Like why me? And there was so much in that that I think the Lord gave me a confidence in my own faith of like, no, like I've called you to do this. Like you have been set apart to do this exact thing. There are things that you can offer this community that other people can't. And so I think for my faith, it was kind of a pruning of taking away old ideas and old mentalities and bringing in new ideas and new mentalities. That's beautiful. Uh, so give us one thing. If you can impart one thing to everybody here, when coming, taking steps of faith and all things, what, what would you tell everybody? I would just like to encourage everyone that growth doesn't happen when you're comfortable. If you want to grow, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in your relationships, you have to take a step out of the box. You have to take that step out of your comfort zone. And if you don't, you're going to remain comfortable and you're going to remain where you are. Cool. Thank you, McKenna. Let's make McKenna thank her for what she said. Thank you, babe. It's a great story. This is what Hebrews 11:6 6 says. Without faith living within us, it's impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he's real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, the path that we walk is charted by faith, not by what we just see with our own eyes. You can't move up in your walk with Christ. You can't mature. You can't deepen without taking steps of faith. Faith is a component to what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So here's the million-dollar question. What is God asking of you? What steps of faith is he asking of you today? What needs to shift and change in you in order for you to move up? Beloved, some of you have been babies for too long. It's time to deepen in your faith. It's time to mature. The times that are ahead of us, those that are weak and those that are shallow and their faith isn't strong, you guys, you're going to get thrown around. You're going to be in anguish. You're not going to make it. God is deepening his people. So what is God asking of you? So bow your heads. Take a minute and listen for the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. What is the Spirit asking of you? Listen. Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.